Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. Uh, my name is Fiona and with me back straight from the Lake Districts or back off holiday and completely refreshed and totally <laughs> doing amazing is Ryan. Hello, Hello. Ryan. I was, like, I was thinking you sounded like I was saying and how he's back from the dead. <laughs> Feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the north <laughs> there is a north where people go to die i'm good thank you i hear like yeah you got salmon yeah no it went really well i think uh it's all, it's all about obelixes and yeah it was a super fun time so we're uh, well hopefully you'll listen to it ryan and be like oh we need to up our game because sam came totally prepared <laughs> <laughs> i never ever go into anything with sam and don't come out of it thinking i need to up my game <laughs> drastically over prepares compared to what I do it's 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 quite astounding and oh. and inspiring yes but, um, I think we're good I think we're good to go I know I've, I've been reading I've actually done my homework this time which is good I mean you set the homework this time <laughs> what are we reading today Ryan what what is the uh the topic of choice well we're having a look into one of the books called Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and specifically Appendix A of Ships and the Sea. Because, and the reason I wanted to look at this is not because it's just a huge chapter or sub-chapter appendix full of stats, which literally it kind of is, but this, yeah, The Dungeon Master's Guide is a brilliant book for helping you to build a world and run a campaign, and a lot of adventures, I find, deal with like you could have a dungeon or a specific situation, a town, a city, an encounter. Here's something the characters do. It may take one session, it may take three, four sessions, and here's all the stuff you need to do it. But then you sort of think, well, if you're doing a campaign, you need a number of those different scenarios or adventures, and you need to sequence them up in some way. Hmm. And unless your campaign is very, very specifically in one place, like it's set in a huge city that could easily take you know, characters from level one to 20, at some point they've got to jump between places. Mm. And that travel is one of those things that's kind of like briefly mentioned in the Dungeon Master's Guide as to like, <laughs> well, if you want to be hiring transport, it's this. Here's how far your character can run before they keel over and vomit everywhere. Like it's <laughs> rough rules on underwater travel and hiring bits and pieces. And then ships are kind of thrown in at the end of the Dungeon Master's Guide as mm. like, and if you've got 25,000 gold spare, here's something you can buy. And lying around. <laughs> exactly. And for something that expensive and for something that important and, and possibly integral to a campaign, I just think ships are a really good thing to get your head around. Because if you can make the whole, not just sort of just traveling from point A to point B, it's creating a, a like a transport mechanism that the party can take pride in, can become personalized, can add to the story, throw in more NPCs. And actually with this appendix, it not only chucks a load of different sort of mechanics into the game as to how to deal with it, but it also puts in a load of plot points as well, which are quite interesting, you know, things that you can spice up a campaign and, you know, the drudgery of just, oh, you're a week away from the port of death, sail at it, and we'll roll some dice and see if something happens. It just, I, I don't know, it just, it, for me, it's, um, and, and because we've, we've been running a campaign mm. that is primarily based in a, waterborne world mm. so lots of ships lots of sail and, and islands and that sort of thing so for me i just i just quite enjoyed it it's, it's a very imaginative chapter i think mm, yeah and that's that's one thing i was going to bring up so obviously again i was going to it's the only thing we've got in common really apart from everything else but like Zerios, because you created or had the sort of main plan for Zerios 
well before Ghost and Salt Marsh came out, the idea of using like sort of water transport and having islands and all that sort of thing. I'm guessing this has helped you sort of map things down or have you got sort of other ideas that haven't sort of come to the uh, foray? Uh, God, words. Yeah, no, it has. No, it, it, it does. I think when I first brought the campaign out, I mean, we must have been nine months into fifth edition coming out like it was pretty soon after it came out maybe a little bit longer actually mm. i'm just trying to remember when when fifth edition did come out was it 16 15 uh, yes sure. no one knows I've <laughs> yes i could look at the dungeon master's guide if i wanted but i'm not that keen but it's definitely two it's like 2015 or something i i, yeah. I should know because i looked at it i put it in some episode notes a little while ago but <laughs> And when when I we brought the, the sort of campaign out, the Dungeon Master's Guide was the only real reference point for boats, mm. and we were all really low level at that point anyway. So, the idea of running your own boat or fighting something that had kraken like powers, for instance, was very low chance and and wouldn't necessarily be something you'd want to throw into a campaign with like characters of level three or something like that. And then when we were playing, they brought out the Unearthed Arcana for ships which came out maybe sort of six months into our campaign and it really fleshed out a lot of stuff to do with um, a lot of the things that appendix a this this chapter then uh has a sort of consolidated and smoothed over because the unearthed arcana like any unearthed arcana is totally (laughs) jagged and rough and bits worked and bits didn't work and and this sort of smooths it over but it first put you know, characteristics on types of crew, like, you know, the, the important members of the crew and the non-important members of the crew, the types of boat, what the boats actually look like. I mean, like it just says galley in the Dungeon Master's Guide and gives you a very brief description. But now we have pictures and we have layouts and, and you know, things to actually solidify. The good thing is I think a lot of the rules they put in place with this, you know, the Anakaftakana and then also Appendix A, they do make logical sense. So I think mm. we had kind of stumbled across maybe half of the rules in terms of how ships work. But what this does is I think it, it needs, you know, it needs everything down mm. and, and it helps to do the one thing, which is the bane of all dungeon masters, um, which is to smooth over initiative and make combat a little bit yeah. quicker. Mm. <laughs> like anything where there's lots and lots of characters moving about at one point, it, you know, one of the things it really does is just to smooth over everything and make things run as quickly as possible. And I quite like that. Mm, definitely. So it is quite a big appendix. So I was wondering if you could do like a whistle-stop tour about sort of the, the main points of it. Obviously, you mentioned a bit of it, but just uh, in general, ships and miss, Galenius, I guess. <laughs> ships and misc, yeah. But it's kind of, uh, it breaks down into sort of fairly decently sized chunks. You've got the ship stat blocks, which basically it draws out and fleshes out, I think, six different ships for you, of which two are very small and then four are what I would call proper ships that have the workings of Solid and then it ships. also exactly <laughs> it then also then talks about how ships work in practice so not mm. only in combat but how they work on a daily basis in terms of taking them to you know you're, you're sailing it from point a to point b how that works and say something dangerous pops out of the water here's how initiative works and here's all the pieces of equipment and blah blah blah, blah. and it, it, it sort of helps to sort of put those in it talks a little bit about officers and crew Mm. which I find really, really cool in terms of, again, it splits it into different categories of people and who's on the ship and which ones are really important and which ones definitely are not important, which is actually even more important, I would say, in terms of getting your head around things. Mm. And then it talks about things like upgrades, travel in terms of things that could go wrong, like mutinies and storms and random encounters and how crew morale works. And, and so really it kind of fleshes out everything. It's, it's pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I, for me, my sort of knowledge of ships in general has obviously increased in the last, say, day or two whilst reading this. But for me, like the, the different sort of officers, obviously, I appreciate this comes from sort of um, seafaring ships, but obviously in sci-fi, so Star Trek and stuff, you have obviously the captain, a first mate or number one, a bosun as well, That's, and mm. then uh, a navigator, but a quartermaster, a surgeon or medic office, and then cook. It's, it's less less used in sci-fi, but those, <laughs> those sort of six main things actually all are important in their own way, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and also, I actually now have learned the difference through reading this, the sort of difference between port and starboard. Um, I don't, oh, there do you, you know, go. Yeah. It's, still couldn't tell you. I've, I've been running a campaign on the sea for <laughs> about two years now, and I still refer to it as the front or back of the boat, or the left or the right, or whatever. And I think... <laughs> you know that's fine if you don't know it that's okay i really should just write it down on a piece of paper one time that would yeah. solve a lot of my problems well so i, I will tell you because i found it quite interesting so a starboard is on the right and port is on the left because in the old-fashioned day before sort of um generals sort of they had you know like the old-fashioned nile boats you had one person at the back with the steering stick essentially oh, yeah. that was always on the right side of the boat and so it comes from sort of the old uh, word for steering side of the boat starboard yeah. and then the other side was the place where they dock the the ship because obviously you can't put it can't put it with the stick side because you won't be able to move off so they would just call that bit the port side because that's where you would put the ship up so there you go <laughs> there you go i did not know that Interesting. I, I i always assumed it had to do with like with shipping ports and and back when you know the ages say mm. maybe they came in from a certain direction and left in a certain direction to stop people crashing into each other but no, that's um. I do like that. I mean, I thought it was always something to do with like the stars. I thought like starboard somewhere in the center. So I was completely wrong about that. But uh, yeah, maybe. But yeah. then I guess people travel in different directions across the sea, so maybe the stars will be on different directions. I don't know. That is very true. Well, I, no, I thank God I'm not running a campaign in <laughs> on boats. <laughs> oh, I find you just make it up as you go along, and people will correct you. It's the best thing. That is true. <laughs> So what stood out for you? What were sort of your sort of big highlights then from this sort of appendix, would you say? I think just generally the ability to sort of flesh out a campaign in terms of being able to take the idea of running a boat and then what the practicalities of that would be, where your characters could fit into all of that, uh, how the NPCs could come into it, how things work in terms of the combat. It's just quite nice to know how these sort of big entities work. I guess it's it's different in the sense that a lot of other travel in D&D is all either magical based or mm. or you travel either by walking or by horseback. There's never any big scenario in which you've got a big vessel that takes crew or like other people that get involved. I mean, unless you're a very rich person and you get 20 people to hoist a golden chair on the road and just walk you down the road or something. Impractical at best. <laughs> exactly. It just gives a good sense of, of how these things work in real life. And Actually, it's brought back a mechanism into the game, which I remember from 3.5, which makes me feel very old. And I'm sure other people will go back further than that. But for me, 3.5 was when it was all new and really complicated. But it brings back a concept of like a damage threshold, Mm. um, which is, again, an interesting way of thinking about ships and also uh, how they work in practicality. Yeah, I for me coming out of it like so uh, most of my campaigns haven't been based on the sea for obvious reasons because like for me it just adds that I always see the sea as an added complication because you you could drown and weapons if <laughs> if you're underwater with with no air your weapons uh, if you're fighting as it just takes a lot more so you, it's a difficult terrain let's mm. put it like that you know so the players have to think about ways to get around it which might not be 
permanent solutions. So I was always like, oh, I, as a player, I love it. As a DM, ah, that sounds, that sounds way too complicated. But going back to what you said before about so the different officer roles, I quite like that. So you you give these roles in addition. Obviously, you, your player characters could have these roles if they buy their own ship or if they've got uh, hiring NPCs or minor characters to fill certain positions. And then they have like an additional duty on the ship to give them a bit more chance to collaborate, a bit more chance to role play, which I thought was quite cool. Mm. And talking about the crew morale, which I, I'd seen been done in some other streams, like High Rollers had done it recently with their sort of ship. The idea that the crew obviously have a certain sentiment or mood, and then every day you sort of, you know, if things don't go well, you know, lack of food, uh, the captain's being a bit of a, an asshole or whatever, the, the mood sort of goes down, and you've got to sort of, you know, come to a consensus, like with anything, like just sort of like, checking on the crew, have the sort of first mate boost morale. It doesn't really say how to boost morale. Presumably you just go around and do like quick uh, HR meetings and, uh, and chats. <laughs> um, but yeah, if it gets below a certain threshold and you do the check and you fail, then there's a mutiny of some sort. And the idea that going forward, when probably we'll go on to talk about hazards, that these officers have to make certain checks. They can do whatever, the, you know, as long as they're not, if they're doing something to help the ship get through this hazard, whether it's a, a natural hazard or if it's a magical hazard or a crew-related hazard, they they make the check. But then for every officer that's not, uh, what's it? So you, certain officers will be in certain checks for sure. But if you don't have someone that's filling that role or not someone that's going to step up for that role, that's just going to count as a failure straight off, which I was like, oh, wow. So if you've got a very small like top crew, say you don't have a cook or a surgeon or even, um, you probably should have a first mate, really. They are sort of the PR <laughs> person for the captain. But if you don't have certain things and those checks come up, then that's just going to be an, uh, a failure against you. And then the idea is that, so you roll it all and then you roll for the crew as well. And depending on their success, well, and then just do a group check, see how well you succeed or not. I thought that was, again, quite interesting. Because again, something else I hadn't thought about is giving that sort of agency to someone that's not the player's and realistically, it's not you either as the DM. It's just another third party that people have to consider and consider the thoughts and feelings of people that they work with in close quarters. Yeah. No, I thought, I thought yeah, the, the quality score and, and how the crew works generally, it, it, it is a really interesting mechanism because I guess it kind of, it puts into practice the nature of this being more of a long-term adventure or a long-term voyage where, you know, you do get beaten down by days upon days upon days at the sea doing hard jobs and you know, having to keep morale up. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Fleshing out the different roles is, is, is really interesting. I mean, the way I look at it is you've kind of got, I would say, four different classes of roles. Mm. And so you can, you can pin it down into this. You've got the named officers of the ship. Now, they're always going to be really important. And generally speaking, you'll have the characters sort of fill in those roles, or you could hire people, but they're going to be quite expensive to do mm -hmm. you've got other player characters that aren't necessarily a named role so people who can still go about and, and are players and therefore are really important and can always do what they want but they don't necessarily have any influence on these ship issues that have mm -hmm. you've got the crew and as you say the crew uh, and, and the sort of crew quality and, and how that's all dealt with is really really good but the book's really good actually at explaining that the crew are they are definitely used to run the boat mm -hmm. they are never like around and spare in order to just be flinging crossbows off the side and stuff like that like they are i guess this is something that we've perhaps sort of used before in our campaigns where you think oh i've got 20 people on the ship they've all got to be doing something actually mm -hmm. no they're probably all running the ship 
Mm. And then that fourth category, I'd say, is, is uh, military or militia or sort of soldiers that are being brought up on the boat that don't have a role but will be used to fire weapons and, and all that sort of thing. And yeah, I think actually giving roles to people, I think people would enjoy it because yeah. there seems to be like a role for everyone, like everything from someone who's really serious. I mean, I could imagine, you know, with all the players I've got giving you, for instance, the role of captain would immediately oh, yes. go to your head that's, and you would love exactly it. What I, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or at least the first mate or something. Oh, um, you know. <laughs> but like it, it sort of gives them a real like incentive to be like, yeah, this is my ship. I really want to run it, put my sort of stamp on it. And then everything from boson to to quartermaster can, you know, really people can get involved with. And Mm. then the cook and the surgeon can be a bit more wishy-washy and healy or magical or whatever you want to sort of put in. Um, Yeah. It's a bit like when we spoke about like high level combat and the feats episode, where we talked about when you get to level 20, what do you do? Well, you probably go own a kingdom or you are, you are the head of a, a franchise or you look after something like that. And this is kind of it for lower levels Like you've suddenly, you've got basically a waterborne headquarters, but then you've got to employ people and look after them and make sure they're okay. You know, and you can't just be like, you can leave them and say, right, whilst we're away, do these orders, but things can happen to them and you have to come back and solve them. So having, it's like a, a great advantage. Cause yeah, like you said, using ships to get to places, uh, discover new things, you know, quickly get to missions and stuff that might be difficult otherwise on the road. But then you have this sort of caveat where you go, okay, but now you have to be a little bit more social or, or have the ability to be a bit more social and have that role play. Certainly if you're going to get some crew conflicts in there as well, I thought it was yeah. quite good. Yeah, absolutely. So no, it really fleshes that out. And and yeah, I, I think the idea of, of the, the the threat of the crew really rebelling is really explained quite well. And, and I mean, you could imagine being in a campaign and, and the crew, they, they try and revolt and they try and mutiny and suddenly your characters are found thrown off their own ship. Like, could you imagine that? I'm in a plot point, like trying to hunt your own ship down. I, th- I think as captain of the ship, it will definitely happen at some point. Just because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's something that I would do, <laughs> annoyingly. <Yeah. laughs> that leads on quite nicely. So obviously as with all D&D books with this sort of thing, there's so many like tables you can roll for just uh, one-off, like, oh, what kind of ship can we make? So beforehand, I actually did make a quick ship. Do you oh, want to yeah. know what I rolled, right? <laughs> I would love to. Go for it. So I rolled a warship, which okay. is called the Intrepid Flower. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cargo ship, uh, a, ne- a neutral cargo ship, but the main sort of crew are all halflings. <laughs> There you go. And I've I got, mean, that's pretty cool. It, it's it's something. And then I rolled for so you can also roll for some crew names and crew mates and stuff like that uh, yeah. as well. I rolled free just to see, like you know, because you're always like, oh, the intrepid flower. Who's famous from that? So I got silverfish, wee patches, <laughs> and then ugly beast. <laughs> so oh. I, I look forward to that one shot when they turn up. <laughs> like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I just this amazing warship, which has just got a big flower symbol, and then it's just all these halflings going hello. Like, but they come up with their own pirate a, names. <laughs> a big ship with a warship—that's a. That's it was an, an inc- vessel. Incredibly, uh, yeah, it's an incredibly lucky roll. <laughs> I was like, oh, what can I do with that? So, well, tell you what, should we use your example then? Because we can, yes. we can probably use your warship to kind of explain how the chapter works in in, in terms of the mechanics of it, because mm. it's. Once you get your head around it, it's pretty simple. It's just you have to treat the ship as an entity, like its own living thing that has its own actions. And the crew kind of all 
warp into the ship effectively. So, we'll, mm-hmm. so if we, you look at page 194, you've got the warship. So this is the warship. What did you say it was called again? It's called the Intrepid Flower, Ryan. The Intrepid Flower. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So I assume you're going to be super rich and you have afforded to deck this thing out properly, right? So you've bought oh, yes. it. Exactly. So this oh, is yes. wonderful. <laughs> so you've got 40 crew. Mm-hmm. You need 40 people in order to run this ship, which is a ridiculous amount of people. And as a DM, my first reaction to that would be like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Could you imagine trying to have 40 people in a combat situation? Oh, good God, <laughs> that would be appalling. Um, and then you can have another 60 passengers. So normally the book suggests that, that you can have militia or soldiers Mm. under your command so i assume that's what you've got 60 60 knights of the realm uh yeah maybe the old two rich person that needs to go somewhere i thought but it's all Mm. like i said like i feel like because i rolled halflings as the majority like yeah just the odd the odd one or two sort of like sort of uh, maybe humans and elves or something (laughs) everyone else is halflings (laughs) i like the fact that you've got so you've got a vessel of halfling mercenaries and and then a few nobility that pay your journey for you yeah that's how it works wonderful (laughs) i like that that's that's a real fantastic thing so the warship itself you've got a gigantuan vehicle that is 100 feet by 20 feet now most boats are all 20 feet wide that's something to remember but it doesn't matter what boat you've got it's going to be four tiles wide and this thing is absolutely massive. It's got four decks, including <laughs> yeah. sort of like a like a sort of split forecastle and quarter deck at the top. And you've got different things you can do. So I'm suggesting you're going to be the captain. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Me. Okay. <laughs> That's great. And you've got officers on this ship. I, I assume you filled somebody into every role. So you've got a first mate. Yeah. Well, bosun. I'll go. I'll go for wee patches as my <laughs> as my first mate. And then wee patches. I like wee it. patches. Uh, I guess bosun will be silverfish. Okay. Oh, sounds like... mm, yeah, silverfish, and then uh, oh, who could ugly beast be? <laughs> ugly beast sounds like a quartermaster. I think we would need a quartermaster. We need to know where we're going. So I agree. absolutely. <laughs> and then nameless NPCs as your surgeon and cook because oh, yeah. you know that makes once sense. you've got silverfish in, that's all you need. All you okay. Need. So you've got yourself a crew of 40, including those named individuals. Now you will be very pleased to know that you have your own sleeping quarters i'm straight you're in captain quarters mm-hmm. and if you're a named person on the ship as well you also have your own quarters which is quite nice oh, everybody else this. sleeps down in the hold or on the main deck or wherever they can basically get mm. space to now let's say you get into a spot of trouble and what? something attacks your ship yeah you get broadsided by oh god yeah wallace and his oh no hungry master boat i've literally Ooh. been watching master chef and that's all i can think of <laughs> oh no not greg wallace so, <laughs> dread pirate wallace <laughs> dread pilot wallace yeah exactly so dread pirate wallace he's got a ship and he is engaging you so we've rolled for initiative oh god so your warship has its own initiative which is minus three so yeah. already when you're rolling initiative that's not so good no the crew all get put into that initiative role so all 40 people are all in the same initiative role Mm-hmm. except from your characters and the named crew. The named crew who are not characters all get put on the same initiative as your ship, right? Mm-hmm. So it's only your party. So you and whatever players you're playing with, you roll initiative as normal. Right. And the crew's quality is the plus or minus that goes with your ship's initiative, effectively. So the better the crew's quality, the faster the ship reacts in, in combat, which is quite good. Useful, yeah. So you could, yeah, so you could have a plus seven if, if you, your crew were absolutely on point. Otherwise, the ship acts last and everyone else kind of 
you know, does what they're going to do and the ship sort of messes around afterwards, which kind of makes sense. The ship is a bit yeah. sluggish. Yeah. So you're the captain, which means you can do a few things with your um, sort of your, your turn and your movement, effectively. You're the one that gives the orders, right? Yeah. If you say something should happen, the ship does it. It's, that is just like instantly they must do what you tell them to do unless they, you know, mutiny. And they don't like me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But you can do things like helping the ship to aim its weapons. Mm-hmm. You can tell the ship to go at full speed. You can give, uh, you know, sort of different commands that sort of help the ship out. And that kind of takes your action. Those are replacement actions you can use. Mm. Otherwise, you can be barking out orders just with your, your talking and you can run around the ship and you can be throwing javelins or casting fireballs, whatever you want to do in your turn. Mm-hmm. So people listen to you, but you, you can still do what you're going to do. I yeah. can still be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. The other characters will do what they do and, and can do the same thing. Different, different people have different, like, so the named crew obviously can, can help with, with certain actions, like the first mate and the bosun have a few actions they can do mm-hmm. as well, which is interesting in combat. And then the ship takes its turn. And you can see your warship can do three things in a turn Exciting. or less if you've killed your crew, which is, you know, yeah. that's, that's not great. <laughs> so... <laughs> You can fire your weapons. You can the two different types of weapons. You've got ballistas and mangonels, and I had to search what a mangonel was. I had no idea what those were at all because they're they're in the dungeon master's guide anyway somewhere. But I had mm. to look what, what one looked like, and then obviously it's on the maps as well. Yeah, they're just classic catapults, the ones yeah. that have springs in them, effectively, rather than trebuchets, which are the ones that fling mm. using big old counterweights. Um, so yeah, exactly. They're what you think catapults are when you're young, and then people go, "Oh, well, technically, people use trebuchets because oh. they're better." <laughs> okay. So, so you've got that. So, yeah. so the ship can do three things: it can move, fire a ballista, and then fire its mangonel. So, it's, it, the ship's pretty, pretty good. And it's also got important parts. So I assume because you're captain, you'll probably be at the helm or maybe you've given the helm to someone. Where would you yeah, see yourself? Please, please, I will stand at the helm. Like amazing, like like superhero pose <laughs> with exactly. the storm. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. So the helm is is everything that involves the the turning mechanism of the ship effectively. So you've, you've got a steering wheel, you've got a rudder, you've got all the mechanisms that, that move it from one place to another. As long as that thing is, is working, you can turn the ship. If that is broken... You can't turn the ship, mm. and that's that's a bit of a problem. It, you, you, your ship will then just be locked in whatever position it was in previously. Mm. You've also got oars and you've got sails, so you could either um, use your oars to sort of push up against the wind. Obviously, the oars are in. The oars can take damage. The more oars get knocked out, the slower you go. Mm-hmm. And the same with the sails. Now, the one thing you will notice about the ship is, especially when you look at the the hull, which is effectively your ship itself. That's the ship in terms of its damage. And it's really tough. Armor class of 15 is not great, but it's made of wood and it's pretty big. So hitting it's fine. But damage threshold of 20 is really important. So if mm. someone comes along and smashes it with an axe, they have to do 20 or more damage to do any damage at all. So 1 to 19 damage is ignored, and then mm. 20 or more is taken at face value. So the ship has to get hit pretty hard for it to take damage. So things like crossbow bolts and arrows and javelins and all that sort of stuff is not going to make a big difference. But the sails, sails do not. They have an armor class of 12. They have no damage threshold, so they just take damage as normal. And they only have 100 hit points. So your sails can get shredded pretty quickly. And the same with the oars. They can get broken pretty quickly as well. So you could see getting into a position where actually... Mm -hmm. 
your 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 movement mechanism could get destroyed way quicker than your ship is. So as a mm. captain, you've got to think about that. Do we do we want to keep moving in combat or do we bring our sails in and bring our oars in and keep them safe within the hull and we'll just float and fight and mm-hmm. let people come to us? Mm-hmm. Right? How would you think? How, what, would, what would you captain? How would, how would you... Um, how would I captain? Um, I'm going to assume that Dread Pirate Wallace is on a similar ship to my own, just for ease. Uh, so it's another sort of warship, perhaps. Yeah, I'd say it's a little worse than yours, though, because yours is brilliant. Well, that for flavour, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, man. See, me being me... I definitely just want to ram it with the naval ram. So, but Absolutely. I think, I think though, because I, because I think I would be like a full speed captain or whatever. And then, but I think I would take the sails in first. I'd take, yeah, I think sails are more important than oars because sails, they seem to get more, yeah, you have more speed, I think, with the sails. Yeah, a little bit more mm. speed than, and you I do, as long as yeah. the wind is with you. That's the, that's the, the thing. wind is always with me. So. <laughs> it is. That's good then. So brilliant. So you can stand there. You've, you've, like, you've got the helm that you're sort of helping. The crew can actually be on the helm. So you've still got your action to use in combat, but you can, mm. you know, make sure that the ship is being turned. So I'm just looking here, special officer actions. So yeah, the captain, first mate, and bosun, you can tell them to take aim. So you can go and literally manhandle or, or lady handle one of the weapons and give it advantage just you know get out of the way and you take it yourself and fire ah, it yeah yeah push them out of the way and then full speed ahead where you basically get the ship to go mm-hmm. quicker than it normally would mm-hmm. how, how, i'm not entirely sure how that that works but but you just, know, just we'll... the inspiration of me shouting full full speed ahead i think it's the magic of the of the voice of the captain absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah and then you've obviously you, you spoke about the ram so that's interesting mm-hmm. so crashing a ship is always a big problem um, your ship is a gargantuan ship. In fact, yeah. most ships are. So if your ship takes damage by crashing, for instance, you take uh, 16d10 bludgeoning damage, which, if you didn't know, is about 85 average damage. So mm-hmm. your ship, you could crash your ship a good sort of seven times before it would get destroyed. So that's not too bad. It's, no. uh, that's okay. But you might find that your um, bits of the ship fall off before that point. But if you were to use your ram, effectively you sort of push that damage into the ram and then you mm. cause the other ship to crash as well and you end up doing tons of damage to the ship that way. Exactly, so yeah. It's quite fun. <laughs> so there, there's your combat. You've defeated the dread pirate yeah. Wallace. Take now, that. exactly, you're thundering along to your next destination. Um, <laughs> let's say your crew are heavily inspired by your heroics. So the crew quality's up, but unfortunately you took some damage. Uh, he threw his flaming scones at your sails. and Bastard. You know, exactly. All of, all of the things burnt up. So you've got the bosun and the crew doing repairs on the mm. way. It gets foggy, so you have to get your quartermaster to take navigational directions and try and stop you from crashing. Mm. It's all kinds of things that could happen. And I just like to think that once you get your head around the ship, it's yours. It becomes its own little world, mm. its own little you know, environment and, and how it sort of plays out. And yeah, I don't know. I quite like it. And speaking of, because you just mentioned fog there, sort of go on to the hazard side of it. So like we sort of mentioned about sort of the crew obviously being a sort of hazard and then obviously being on water and stuff, there are other kinds of hazards which the book details about. Storms being another obvious one because obviously mm. at, at sea, obviously you're going to have uh, big gigantic waves that just uh, sort of uh, capsize your ship, uh, big sort of uh, blowing gales and stuff. Uh, whirlpools was another one. And, yep. uh, oh God, now I can't remember what the other one was. Oh no, <laughs> fog, that was it, fog. Fog and fire were the other ones. So all sort of elements, so there's like four or f- no, I'm wrong. So it's crew conflict was the first first one. Fire, mm. fog, 
infestation and then storm. So you've got three sort I mean, of, infestation uh, sounds absolutely horrific, especially in our <laughs> COVID-friendly world. It, yes. You know, the idea that something goes through, a lethal plague goes through your ship. I mean, yeah, let, yeah let, let's be honest, high fantasy wasn't known for its cleanliness. No, <laughs> no it was not. But I, I think, again, it's really interesting because when these hazards come up, you roll randomly for the hazard DC. Mm. And on a 17 or lower on a D20, it's only going to be a DC of 15 or lower. So it's quite possible that you're going you're gonna to ace these checks. You know, you're, you're a pretty capable captain. You're proficient in water vehicles. You've got crew that are doing good with crew quality. I, like, generally speaking, you should be fine. It's only if something with DC 20 or 25 comes along that you could get real problems. Yeah. yeah that could get bad really quickly. Was there a particular hazard type that you thought was like, oh, that's really good? Because obviously we've got sort of three sort of environmental, elemental kind of ones, like the storm, fog and fire, and then you've got crew infestation. Was there any one that stood out to you? Obviously, we've talked quite a lot about crew conflicts because obviously when you're in small quarters, it's like, you know, yeah. ordinary frustrations are going to come out, I guess. That's the one I really like purely because of the sort of role-playing aspect of it and, and fleshing up the NPCs because you've got to think like, there is a crew conflict, something's happened. Okay, that's fine. So what has happened? And then you 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 know, you've got to think of of like something that could have happened that would have uh you know led to this sort of fight. And it gives a few examples about brawls and theft and murder in the worst cases, but maybe it's not that. Maybe it's lying or a game of dice that went wrong mm. or some you know, adultery. I mean, who knows what's going on on, on the ship? But not not on my ship. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You only take bachelors on your ship. It's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, so it's, it's you've got to think about that, and then you can flesh out NPCs. So if like a murder's happened, you've got to maybe name two or three of the suspects on the ship as you're trying mm-hmm. to. You could turn it into the who done it, or especially if if something's been stolen, then you've got to like try and find it on the ship and and sort of do things. You've got to think about how you're going to. I mean, obviously, there's checks you can make to see how well you do, but maybe you'd let your player sort of role play it out a little bit to gain advantage on a check or to change the DC slightly, or mm. there's always ways you could sort of change it. Definitely. I think for me, looking at it, like one thing I think it didn't include, which I wondered if they would do, but it could lead, I think it's, what did I say? It's like a means to an end, I guess, as a hazard. So obviously they've got storms and looking at that, you've got like heavy gale, storm, uh, mm. hurricanes, etc. What about the complete opposite, which happened to us in Xeros, where there was just no wind at all, and there was no way to power the ship for long periods of time. So you're stuck out in the open water, which mm. means that you could obviously have encounters with other ships, other creatures coming together, and crew conflicts as well, as you're out there for days and days and days, and you don't know when exactly. the next thing's going to happen. So I thought that would be an interesting sort of hazard to, to put yeah, in Yeah, no, well. you can throw that in, especially because then you think, well, you do have oars, so you get the ship to be powered on all power. Mm-hmm. But then the crew have got to be doing that all day, Mm-hmm. And does that hit morale? Does that hit the crew tiredness? Are you going to wear your crew out? Are people going to start fighting because they think, oh my God, we're miles from shore? Yeah. Got to row the whole thing. That's, I mean, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. These things definitely can, uh, can come through. And then sort of going to the another aspect of sort of like creation and obviously creating islands that you could come across, whether you're swept upon them or you, you find them whilst sort of doing your track mission. So in part two of my homework, I did an, an island creation. Would you like to hear about my island that I created? I would love to, please. So um, it's a hostile island. <laughs> uh, the, the boss, or sort of the main leader of it, is a spirit naga. 
And I don't know if you I don't know if you've looked those up, but those are quite terrifying. For those people who don't know, a naga is sort of like a, a horrific sort of snake creature with a, a face of a human humanoid, essentially. Yeah. And a spirit nagas are sort of known because they have a property called rejuvenation, which means even after they die, in seven days they come back to life. And the only way to stop them is through a wish spell. So I was like, oh, that's oh. good to know. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I didn't that's, know what one was. problematic, yeah. Yeah. Um, the sort of uh, motivation for the leader was that they never aged, or sort of their intention, sorry. They never age because it consumes the souls of their victims, uh, which is like, oh, good. Okay, um, great. Inhabitants are goblins. <laughs> And then the reason why the ship might be there is that rivals challenged you to stay the night. <laughs> like, I don't know if I would want to stay the night if I knew what was there. Your rival. Oh, you'd have to make something that would be a good rival for you. Probably it's uh, like a, another warship of uh, gnomes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word, that's, that's, that is intriguing. Yes. You, know uh, you could make you can make so many more of these. Maybe I should have used this this creator for all the islands in my campaign. You know, help to spice things out a little bit. No, nah, and you, you've got. I think. I think there's only so much you can do with. Uh, I think that's the thing with dice generations are great, and like you, you give you the idea and the sparks and stuff. But sometimes I'm like, uh, really, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I I want even myself to be on this island, and unless there's a real reason to go there. But yeah, I, I think it's a good idea for like a jumping off point, and then you could always tweak the the details as you see fit for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I like I like your island though. I mean, I would want to be challenged to stay there that sounds great fun it's like it's like um i like the idea that i would probably put it as like a animal crossing type island just to really screw people over like oh come to my island it's really nice or is it yeah so the other thing i thought was interesting some of the other environmental hazards i saw was uh so the mists for example sort of the fog Hmm. aspect so they sort of talk about three different types which are ghost uh yeah ghost mist Shadowfell and then wild magic. I uh, don't know if you've got any opinions on those kinds of mists at all. <laughs> Which mist do I produce? Is that like a sort of like? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like the idea of a wild magic one, like just mm. because it can throw anything. I mean, we're talking another table within a table here. Yes. I think the wild magic is, is definitely taken from the sorcerer wild magic table, which is just a little bit of chaos. Of It can be destructive or just silly. And that, I think, yeah, just a wild magic bog is quite interesting, really. I quite like that. Yeah, and then those coupled with sort of the different sort of magical storms you can have with the different sort of uh, you know, abjuration where you could just teleport uh, within your current location, depending on where the storm sees mm. fit. Uh, various sort of the conjuration one where you've got uh, air elementals just coming in to attack. Uh, all these sort of things, which I thought was, again, cool ways of just sort of having that little taster of stuff. Like, I, I'm certainly someone who has no idea. I can't even remember half the um, the magic classes, as it were. And then even then I go, oh, abjuration means something. Uh, <laughs> just having to work that out. But it's it's quite nice to have those ideas in play. So you could always just pick out. So I, I, I've been quite liking that. But the other big one that I really enjoy before we go on to what you didn't like and stuff, I really loved the lure lights, these sort of mm. weird, horrific sort of um, will-o'-wisp sort of lights in the water, which if a, a creature sees them, they have to make a save. And otherwise they are charmed for it for 24 hours and just stay awake. And then they repeat this at the end of every 24 hours, gaining a level of exhaustion until presumably they die. Mm. And 
again, I know you're not a massive horror fan, Ryan, so I apologize in advance, but there is um, something called the deadlights in Stephen King's uh, world, where mm. essentially if you look at these things, you just, you go mad or you just lose your soul to the, to the, um, to this thing, which is very eldritch horror-esque. And I remember watching um, It, chapter two, and there's a moment where one of these sort of adults is, is fighting this creature and is like, no, you will not take us, we're great. And then the creature just opens its mouth and these deadlights come out and it just, the person just almost just, I can't describe it, just falls into unconsciousness, but in such a way that it was just terrifying, like just became like Ooh. a doll and then sort of floating up to the ceiling because obviously they all float down here. Um, yeah, so I, that for me gave really strong vibes of sort of these lower lights, these things that you, again, stuff that you could put into sort of old uh, ship tales, you know, sea shanties, that sort of thing, and having these things dotted around as sort of legends and uh, lore of the sea and like warning sailors, like, oh, don't go here, you know, as a sort of premonition to like these things will may appear depending on how you roll. So I quite like yeah. those. No, that, that's horrifying. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think anything that, that sort of, yeah, can just make people sort of charmed just like that. It's a bit like a siren call or, yeah. or yeah, like, like um, uh, the, the angler fish, you know, with the, the sort of the, the light that comes down and mm. gets your attention. Yeah. No, that, that, that creeps me out. I think, oh, I'm, I'm probably have told you this because I know obviously we've, we've recently done an angler fish type creature, which is horrific uh, in Zerios. There was there's a podcast called uh, the Magnus Archives, and one of the very first episodes talks about like an anglerfish type creature hiding in the the streets of Edinburgh, but on its sort of the sort of um, frontal sort of uh, string, I don't know, is a person, and the person's asking people going by, oh, "Do you have a light for my cigarette? Do you have a light for my cigarette?" But it's just bland, and when you take a picture of it, you, it's just completely dead, and there's just eyes far back in the street looking at you. It's a horrible, Ugh. massive creature. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> it's horrible. Well, now you're in the right mood. Is there anything you didn't particularly like about this chapter? Anything you'd think, oh, maybe I'd change this or tweak this instead? I think, yeah. I mean, as much as I like, you know, things like the Bob Magic Table and, and all that sort of stuff, I, I'm always a little bit skeptical about putting random things in, just because sometimes it can it can derail a, like a story that you're trying to tell. So I think being able to personalize things to whatever you are doing or whatever story you're trying to tell is really important so as you say like being able to introduce like the lack of wind as a, as a hazard or something mm. like that is really cool I mean there are some really really good ideas in this book I mean I I always find the idea of a whirlpool really like cliche I don't know yeah. now I'm going to end up throwing one at you oh, um, please don't <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I don't know that maybe if, if anything had come up in this chapter I just thought oh come on something a little bit yeah like um no, random encounters that that um that come up sometimes you're like well how mm. how would a ship encounter that like, like for instance one giant shark you're like great well the ship would just sail past like even a giant shark is tiny compared to a warship so mm. i don't know there's a lot of imagination you need to use in some of these uh like some of the encounters yeah and mm. i think i agree with you with the whirlpools like I mean, it's, this comes from me not being a scientist and you not being a scientist, really. Like, how often do whirlpools happen in the real world? Do we know? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. That is a good question. Cause like, I, it's a really good question. Because, I, 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 again, I always see them in films or in, um, you know, I, I know it's something to do with, oh, God, this is going to, I'm going to sound bad, but it's something to do with currents and whatever. But it's just, you don't hear about them anymore or people can bypass them because they navigate it. I mean, I... This is me talking about the real world rather than the fancy world. But I just feel like there's always a reason for a whirlpool. And I think they talk about it as well. Like, oh, it's a portal 
to another plane or it's, mm. it's something else rather than a natural phenomena. And I think it's just like, there's probably other ways you could do it. So like, I prefer the idea of the mist being used as a sort of, oh, there's been a tear and the sort of the different gases are forming this mist. And so you don't see where you're going and then you appear rather than, but then I guess the whirlpool then can create damage to your ship. So it's less likely that if you do come back, you'll be able to still navigate the sea, whereas fog might be slightly different, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, portal to the elemental plane of water or something, mm. or like a sort of teleport shift, like an abjuration, it was an abjuration storm or an abjuration, mm. something like that it was mentioning before. I think the only thing I didn't like, so again, loads of ideas, loads of things to jump off of, is, again, and I think this is more coming down to me as a DM, it's just a lot to think about. Obviously, I feel like it's obviously something you'd have to prep well in advance. It's not something you can do off the cuff, just being able to even read it once or twice through. But I feel that this sort of combat stuff primarily was sort of made for miniatures and wargaming s so like you would have the ship there and we obviously when we were playing in real life we would do that quite easily you do you had the ship map out we'd have this menus and it was just helpful for everyone to work out the distances between creatures coming towards us different ships etc and it was really exciting as a result and i guess you could do this online as well with like roll 20 or any map systems yeah yeah i think it's really hard to do this with theater of the mind completely mm. like i think just certainly if you're trying to work out the speeds of the ship so it's now going at this speed and now it's it's doubled because you're going full speed ahead and this ship you know I, unless you're gonna get your players to really describe what they're doing and then box it down i think it could take a quite a lot of time and it, i feel could get quite exhausting because you're trying to work out where all these things are because so what's in my mind it won't be in your mind or another player's mind it's just i feel like you have to have some point of reference and maybe it's because i feel dnd is going towards more miniature stuff than uh, theater of the mind because it in a way wants to sell products <laughs> which is no bad thing but I, again i think for me i was like maybe there's just another way to streamline it maybe have an option to be like so you if you if you're doing it full map full minis etc you can do it like this but here's a streamlined option if you're doing pure theater of the mind instead yeah yeah like taking out distances and putting it with like a sort of short medium and long ranges exactly on, exactly like, yeah encounters sort of levels no i get that i i wonder if they will push in that direction more especially after what we've been dealing with 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 covid and everybody staying at home and, and more things being done yeah online and and, and mm. virtually and i guess dnd has always had a place online in the sense that people use their own maps and they use their own figures mm-hmm. on software. So maybe it won't go away completely, but no, I know what you mean. It's you, you need to sort of sometimes just sort of smooth it over a bit and make it a little bit easier. Hmm, definitely. So uh, how would you implement, how would you implement ships into your campaigns, Ryan? I guess. <laughs> Second to last question. <laughs> I think at some point your party will have to travel on a ship. So knowing what sort of ship they're traveling on would be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're, you're encountering a merchant ship or a cargo ship or a slaver ship or, or something you're, you're taking uh, a journey on. And then at some point you're going to meet pirates because of course you'll meet pirates. Mm-hmm. So you've got to do that at some point. So getting a sense of what pirates look like and how, how that works is really fun. And then I guess once your players get to a certain level, there's always the option they could afford their own boat or, or, or their own crew or be renowned enough for, for that. So I always think that's quite a fun thing to imagine as well. Yeah, I think for me, like, I think I would have it so that, yeah, my campaigns would have it integral that you, you will be on a ship at some point and it will be for a long time and maybe once or twice, etc. I think the thing I would probably do is, yeah, pirates are fun. 
I know some people are like, oh, but pirates are so cliche and stuff like that. I mean, I love, oh, now I completely forgot what it's called, the <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. You have sort of like outlandish pirates, serious pirates, uh, the people that are caught in the middle, different boats, the combat stuff like that. So, and what's put in uh, Salt Marsh is there is the Sea Prince's sort of um, federation, which is like these pirates getting together to create a pirate nation in this kingdom. And I like that idea, again, you're having to deal with this sort of the ongoing sort of, uh, ongoings of uh, these pirates and having to deal with them and then maybe you go to the meeting of the pirate council for whatever reason to parlay mm. that oh, would be quite like fun that. yeah this should yeah. be your campaign right why are you no. not doing this <laughs> no because i i'm bad um oh you could do you've got all the names of your pirates now you've got that whole table you what? Just... no they're a neutral ship the halflings the intrepid flower that's not a <laughs> that's no, not a pirate you ship. your own the ravenous caterpillar Ooh, the, the dead rivals. Um, the other idea I had, and I know you're going to be like, oh, really? But in Stardust, the sort of the film and, and the book, there are pirates, but they are sky pirates. So I want Ooh. to, so there are obviously, there are upgrades you can do. We only briefly sort of talked about them, but upgrades you can do to your ship to get better uh, ramming stuff. You can get, you know, better figureheads that can breathe fire or become iron golems, etc. I want a button on my ship which I go, and now we fly. And like at the end of Peter Pan of the ship, it sort of flies up slowly into the sky. <laughs> yes. And um, basically almost have a, it's, he's called, oh, what's it called? Um, Captain Shakespeare is the, the character in Stardust where he's just like a very flamboyant being like, we will capture the thunder because the thunder is the business and the crew are all you know, proper meathead pirates and you're just flying in and out of storms. So I was like, yes, that's mm. what, which seems so pointless. You're like, yes. Ships in the sea, and I'm like, no, ships in the sky. <laughs> the... <laughs> so I just take it on. But the, the, those are the only bits I would change. I think the, 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 as you said, the appendix has such really good ideas and really helps formalize any issues you're having with sort of the combat with big structures that you need lots of people to work together, the parts and stuff. But now yeah. I, I want more difficult terrain. I want to be up in that sky, and if I fall off, there's a really good chance I will die. <laughs> exactly. I think in terms of skyships, I may be wrong, but did they go into it a little bit in the Eberron book? I mean, yes, maybe. I think they they do for Githraki, I think. Mm, no, uh, but they do, they do talk about it in Githraki and stuff. But I'm thinking if, if I, as a normal person that doesn't live in Eberron, but living in our own world, which is to buy a flying ship, <laughs> I, that's, how, that's how I would uh, go for it. <laughs> Do you have any recommendations for sea combat in general? Anything that's not necessarily D&D or, or anything that's caught your eye and going, oh, I'll include that in my campaigns? <laughs> I mean, the most ridiculous, you've got Pirates of the Caribbean in my head. I think yes. it was the third one where they have a ridiculous whirlpool battle where the ships are sailing around a huge whirlpool and yeah. firing at each other. I put that as an option and something to don't do that. That's really Oh, stupid. no, that sounds so much fun now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... Um, I get, you see, I get a lot of inspiration just from like uh, a lot of people have played like Wind Waker, the, mm. the Zelda game, and 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 sort of the the freedom of being able to just say, look, you've got all these islands, go and go and explore, and uh, you've got your boat. Anything that gives your boat a little bit of freedom. Um, did, I don't know if you ever played Skies of Arcadia back oh, in the day. No, it no, was. Um, God, that's like an old game now. Um, but that one was was floating ships, like like sort of as you say, sky ships and and worlds that were just sort of floated around, and mm. and that was really cool as well. So like, that was sort of painting a world where people could fly around and and just sail and and steal what they needed to do whenever they needed to go. <laughs> it was quite good. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, I thought for me, like, because in there's a lot of descriptions about all the sort of different coral reefs as well in uh, this appendix. Uh, and right at the end, obviously, only glancing over this, but there's so much in this appendix. I'm really worth reading it, but they talk about different areas you can go to, so like a coral reef type style, uh, mm. a, a shipwreck and uh, a sunken town, which again has very Cthulhu vibes in it. And I'm like, yes, tick, 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 tick for me. But um, I thought, because I'm very bad at describing things, I'm, <laughs> which I say that in like the most loving sense, I always use cultural references and, and stuff like that. But actually watching stuff like uh, Deep Blue Sea um, or Blue, Blue Sea, I can't remember, the, the David Attenborough stuff uh, on BBC, like watching the, sort of the underwater and going into some of the dark zones and the twilight zones and seeing the creatures down there and giving that sort of flavour to your world would be quite interesting to see. And the music for that's really good as well. And then for island stuff, I was thinking, well, what have I seen? That's obviously Pirates of the Caribbean. As you said, like, giant whirlpool fight. I love that. There's um, a bit where... I didn't that. That's all you're going to want to do now. No, there's that. But there's also um, there's that bit with Jack Sparrow pulling his boat through the desert, which, I again, is just a, a really cool image as well. So maybe you get stuck on some sort of uh, desert plane. There's talks about sandbanks oh, yeah. as well. Um, yeah. But then on the other side of it, it's like, well, going to an island and meeting different people, I thought of Moana, because you've got all the sort of, again, That's the folklore true. and stuff, and then you've got larger than life characters who then probably want to steal your boat or come with you in some mm. capacity. And then there's sort of hijinks along the way. And Moana's just a good film in general. I just want to watch that again. <laughs> oh, it's a really good film. I like that film. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. This sort of, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed finding more about ships which is probably something i would not have said <laughs> a couple of couple of weeks ago but you know it's been exactly. really really good fun it, it's it's one of those things in in a campaign if you've got a bunch of friends that you play D with a lot it's one of those things you can all create together and mm. it's something that makes more adventures which i think is always desperately needed in in D, &D. just something that opens up doors rather than shutting them oh definitely oh well well, well that's a good phrase i like that i like that <laughs> a lot so do you want to know what we've got planned for next time, Ryan. Oh, I yeah. do want to know. What are you up to? What have you got for us? What, what am I up to? Well, as, as of this morning, <laughs> threw all my plans out the window and I thought, what's something that is like I enjoyed running as a, as a DM and something that is very uh, creative, but also collaboratory and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, yes, there is a module that I ran, a one-shot sort of session I ran for, for you, for David and Sam, called the... The Ice Star facilities, which is actually a uh, written or was sort of ran by Patrick Rothfuss, the famous author of the, I'll get this wrong, is it the Kingfisher Chronicles? Ooh. I don't know. Okay, I thought you had read those, but never mind. No, I don't think them. I have. No, no, I feel I feel very unread now. I'm going to look this up and it's going to be wrong, but it's fine. <laughs> it's a famous author that people will know because he has been a guest on a, a very famous D&D stream called Acquisitions Incorporated. And this was his... Uh, sort of first time it was a session that he ran at uh, a big convention called pax east and he ran it his first time as a as a gm to his friends and to his own dm who was chris perkins who is one of the lead writers on D. no pressure then. no pressure at all but it's it's one of my favorite fun little like adventures so silly and fun and it just everything about it i think has has good tips for both old and new dms so yeah that's really cool i the little bit of reading i've done on it is really funny I, I like it i'm looking forward to talking about it brilliant oh well thank you so much and we'll we'll see you next time we'll see you here i don't know oh no we won't I, see you wait, you'll hear us i completely <laughs> forgot i always do this ryan do you have anything to plug <laughs> oh no it's fine i'm boring don't worry about me <laughs> uh <laughs>
you can't say that <laughs> you've got to be confident in what you do sorry I, yeah. I will go first go for it <laughs> I will my name is Fiona I keep forgetting I have to do this so I run the what am I rolling podcast it's a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast I always say this it's going very very well uh, a couple of episodes of Pugmire have come out uh, some one-shot solo stuff is coming out and uh, oh, probably by the time this comes out, actually, I will be on a panel for, oh, what's it called? I'm on a panel about how to GM uh, at a UK Games Expo online uh, oh, wow. in August some point. Yeah, I know. I keep forgetting that that's coming up in August, but yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'll... I know you're doing that. No, uh, I, it's been in the works. I was supposed to do it in May and then everything got cancelled and then it's been oh, moved yes, online. Oh, yes, of course. No, yeah. I do remember that one. Uh, yes. yes. That's really cool, though, getting yeah. out there and meeting people. Look at you. Well, not not really. I'm staying here and <laughs> going online, but to well, basically talk about... Throwing yourself out there anyway. Oh. It's certainly more social than I do. I, I tend to sit at my computer for hours on end playing the same game and then recording myself. So you can find me on YouTube if you want to find me a little bit more Ursa Ryan. I'm, uh, I like to think I'm funny, engaging, witty, and slightly clever, but I don't I'm at least one of those <laughs> things. You can work out which and tell me. Uniqueness, nerve, and talent. I think that's what it is. <laughs> right. Now that we've done it, <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see you next time. Well, next time. <laughs> You'll, yeah, yeah. You'll hear us. We won't see you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs>